Hey friends, if you're listening to this on the week of release, I got two opportunities where maybe we can meet up. Saturday, November 20th in the Cincinnati area, I'll be at Mount St. Joseph University. There's two shows, a 2 o'clock matinee and a 7 p.m. show. I'll be appearing with Tracy DeGraff. So if you want information about how to get tickets to that, go to www.msj.edu forward slash comedy. And on Sunday, November 21st, I'll be at the Ross Theater in Scottsburg, Indiana. Two shows that day, a 2 o'clock showing of the Mayberry Man movie with my fellow cast members. And then at 5.30, I'll be doing a stand-up comedy show, uh, Straight Ahead Comedy. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's a fundraiser for the United Way. You can find out more about tickets to that. Shoot me an email, schooloflast at gmail.com. I'll hip you to the information. Let's do it. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by schooloflaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the podcast. Rick Roberts here. Hope you're doing well. Wherever you're at, doing whatever it is that you do. Hey, today I'd like to thank our Patreon supporter for this episode, John Peters. John, what's going on, my man? Hey, if you'd like to support the podcast through Patreon, all you got to do is hit schooloflaughs.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And hey, while you're on schooloflaughs.com, check around. We've got tons of blogs, over 250 podcast episodes. You can search by topic by using that little magnifying glass in the search tool. And probably any comedy question you have, we've tackled it at least once, if not multiple times, through blog posts or podcasts or a combination thereof. Today's episode is all about... The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, 17 shows in 27 days. Uh, Things have ramped back up, to say the least, here in uh, Nashville and across the U.S., and a lot of shows are being rescheduled and shoehorned into existing uh, weeks of work, and uh, I've had quite a few shows lately, but uh, I've got a little episode here all about what I'm still learning 30 years into this. And uh, through these 17 shows, the travel and the uh, the audiences, the setups, all those things, uh, things I'm still picking up on that maybe I can help you with as you're going through things. And if you're new to the podcast or have just tuned into a couple episodes, I'll just give you a quick background so this episode makes more sense. So in 30 years, I've done uh, stand-up comedy. I started off with improv, moved on through stand-up, still do stand-up, but about 10, 12 years ago, I started doing some speaking as well, and you're probably like, well, comedy is speaking. Yeah, but one client called me up and said, hey, can you not be funny for the whole hour and teach us something? I'm like, oh, yes. You asked my wife. I cannot be funny for a week at a time, (laughs) but that added another tool in my toolkit where I can use comedy as a communication skill to deliver a message. So I have a few different programs, and this the reason I'm telling you all this is because in these 17 events, 17 shows, I use almost all of these. So it's not just stand up every single time, um, which is fine if you can do it. Uh, I've found for me that I like doing a few different things. So I have the stand up comedy show. I also appear sometimes as a Barney Fife impersonator. I was recently in a movie called Mayberry Man, where I'm the Barney Fife tribute artist slash impersonator in the movie. 
I have a speech called The Mayberry Method, which is based on The Andy Griffith Show. It's a soft skills tune-up for groups. Uh, you know, I'm not an expert at a, a lot of topics, but I'm a good communicator and can help them with their soft skills. And then I also have a thing I do called Listen Up, Laugh It Up, which is a combination of stand-up. I open up with stand-up, then I do some team-building, improvisational listening exercises to help them listen better, and then wrap up with some stand-up. And that last one, Listen Up, Laugh It Up, I did twice in this span. I did the Mayberry Method a couple times in the span. So uh, I'm just going to go through the different gigs and tell you what I'm still learning 30 years into this. The good, the bad, and the ugly. 17 shows in 27 days. Let's do it. All right, the first of the 17 events slash shows occurred in League City, Texas. And what I did there uh, was a motivational program called the Mayberry Method. Again, this is where I teach groups uh, through the Mayberry episodes, different things they can learn about how to approach their business and improve their community. And so this was in League City, Texas. This was for a group of women realtors in the area. It was at a Mexican restaurant. It was at noon, and you might be thinking to yourself, I'm already going to cancel this episode and get out of this. Who wants to <laughs> hear about some guy who's doing a motivational speech at noon at a Mexican restaurant decked out as Barney Fife? What in the world is this guy doing for a living? And sometimes I think about that, too. Um, you know, on paper, the gig does not seem like one that would appeal to a lot of people. But to me, I'm there to help these different ladies who are in the uh, real estate business Make better sales, listen to their clients better, uh, work better with others, uh, eliminate some distractions so they can focus on what they're trying to do. And a lot of these folks are independent, so they don't have a whole team of people working for them. So my job is to come in there and specifically give them some tools they could walk away with. And it was fun. It was a good time. They were great laughers. Typically, all women audiences are much better laughers than all male audiences, which I had one later in this that we'll talk about. And uh, it was a tricky gig because I had to be in uh, Missouri the next two days and I had to be there for early events. And so what I needed to do was actually drive to Missouri the night before and fly into Dallas and then go on down to League City for my event. So when I flew back, I would already be in Missouri. So the first tip I have for you is sometimes it's better to put yourself physically in a better location for travel than you are naturally. So for that, I went ahead and drove to St. Louis and then hopped on the flight and got down there the night before to Dallas. So I'd be in the area already in Dallas uh, to go down to League City, Texas and do the gig. Fun gig. Uh, not only was I doing that, but I was promoting the Mayberry movie on Sirius XM's Jeff and Larry Comedy Roundup channel. And so as I'm getting dressed, I had to go out to the rental car, sit in the back seat, pull up Zoom on my phone and do a phone interview uh, with Dan, with Larry the Cable Guy, and do that in the back seat of my car. So uh, it's, it's definitely kind of a road dog moment where you're in Barney Fife uniform at a Mexican restaurant in the back seat of a car doing a phoner for a movie uh, for satellite radio. So anyway, hectic morning, but uh, the program went extremely well. Very happy with that. And then hustled to the airport uh, to catch a flight back to Missouri. And so that was the 14th League City, Texas main thing I learned there is uh, you got to be versatile and sometimes you got to travel 
slightly different than you would normally travel. There was no reason for me to fly in and out of Nashville and then land here and be late for my gig in Missouri. So did that. Next day, Friday, October 15th, Ferguson, Missouri. This is a church outreach comedy night where I'd be uh, helping people. If you remember, Ferguson, Missouri was in the news for the riots a couple years ago. And ever since, this particular church has done an arts in the community series. And I was invited to be part of that. And so the idea was for me to do an outdoor show to be COVID responsible and for them to invite people from the area around to show that comedy can unite and bring people together. And I love that whole idea. So I was on board with that. We had to reschedule it uh, due to the pandemic. And finally, here it lies on October 15th. And the day before, the event planner at the church tells me, hey, the rains are coming. We can't do the event outside. We don't want to bring people inside for fear of transmission of the virus. So you'll be on the platform delivering the program virtually to everybody. There'll be nobody in the audience except for my event planner who's running the soundboard and computer. So there I was right there in that moment where we're all like, Ugh, really? But, you know, I've done enough virtual to where I knew I could talk to myself <laughs> for an hour and uh, I got a few few laughs from the guy who was running the soundboard and all that stuff, but not ideal. I was really hoping to be there in community to bring people together and unite them through comedy. Instead, we're all doing our own thing in front of our screen. And uh, from all reports, it went well, and I had a fun time doing it, but it would have been much more fun to have a live audience. wouldn't have been ideal outside. But it would have been better. And this is also something that I keep thinking about. We always say, you can't do comedy outside. Well, you can. It's not great. But I would have rather done comedy outside for two squirrels and a badger and six people than stand inside and deliver it virtually to uh, nobody looking right back at me and nobody that I could hear laughing besides the sound engineer. So versatility is the key. In two nights already, I've done a speech in a Mexican restaurant, and now I'm, I'm doing a comedy show for nobody, uh, even though hundreds watched online, apparently. It was a very tricky thing, but happy to have the gig, happy to finally do the gig that was rescheduled. So 14th, 15th, first two gigs down. Next night is a little further south down in Marquand, Missouri, which if you don't know where that's at, I can't even tell you. I just hopped on the road from St. Louis, headed south, and I got to the hotel and they said this thing is so far out in the woods that we're going to bring somebody to the hotel and you can either ride with them or follow them through the back roads and get to the gig so already my antenna is up this is a church sponsored wildlife game banquet where the uh, people come in from around the community they uh, harvest some of the food that they've killed and they stew it up put it in the crock pot and they had a comedy show and then lots of giveaways afterwards, uh, hunting-related uh, giveaways that were sponsored through different companies. So this gig went good. It was definitely out in the boonies, and I had a really hard time almost following the, the van that was taking me out into the woods. It was pretty much two or three main roads, um, you know, one-lane roads. But, man, they were flying over these hills like they were in the Ozarks trying to make a getaway. And uh, I was doing all I could to keep up with them. That show, stand-up show, they had a uh, acoustic guy before me that was really good, did a good job of setting the table. And speaking of tables, you know, if you've never done a wild game banquet, there's like uh, fox hides 
and uh, various marsupials skinned and sitting there on the table. And then you're looking at the the marmoset or whatever, and you're also eating it too. So you could pick the table that had the, the fox on it and go have some fox stew or go sit at the table that had the antlers on it and have some venison, make your way around and uh, enjoy all that. So quite an interesting event. The main thing I learned in that show is to be prepared and to double check with your event planner upon arrival about their expectations. Uh, when I booked this, and this also was one that was rescheduled from the pandemic, uh, they just wanted a straight-ahead comedy show. And when I get there, all the posters have pictures of me as Barney Fife, and it says a visit from Barney Fife, and that was never in the contract. Uh, luckily, I had my uniform in the car ready to go, and uh, I looked at the poster and said, hey, did you want me to do some Barney Fife? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's how we promoted the whole thing. They're all expecting that. Well, didn't know that till I got there even though I'd asked him two weeks earlier, we're just doing the stand-up show, right? And he's like, yep, that's what we're doing. So uh, prepared last minute. It's not a lot of work for me to throw on the, the uniform and walk around and mingle with people. But had I not brought it, uh, I think there would have been some tension un- unnecessarily between me and the event planner. So again, since I had the Fife uniform from doing the gig at the Mexican restaurant, and I had thought to go ahead and iron it and have it ready just in case, It was right there. So had that, did the show, and it went well. Found my way back to the hotel. Got up early, and on the 17th, headed to E-Town, Kentucky. In Elizabethtown, I was doing an event based around the Mayberry Man. Uh, Two of the gentlemen that were in the movie, that are preachers, um, bought the theater for the day and had their whole congregation come out and watch the Mayberry Man movie. And they didn't know, the congregation did not know that Alan Newsom, who plays Floyd, and myself, who plays Barney Fife, would show up at the end and get pictures with them and do a meet and greet and do a Q&A. And that really seemed to go over extremely well and was a ton of fun. And the uh, the audience members were just really sweet. They all came up. The event planners had made a backdrop like Floyd's Barbershop. And we all took pictures in front of that. And then they gave that to Alan, to Floyd afterwards, which I thought was a nice gift. And just had a good old time. And even though I didn't do stand-up at that event, uh, you know, I was reimbursed for being there and paid to be there. And we did a Q&A and we had to kind of be on our toes. And the thing I learned there is not so much about speaking, but it is about generosity. The fact that these pastors who had sponsored the movie by donating money and they appeared in the movie, they went ahead and bought the theater and gave their congregation a gift of laughter and an outing. And many of these people hadn't been out in public, uh, in a group setting like that since the virus hit. And they all got to come watch a wholesome, family-oriented movie. And uh, to have us there was kind of icing on the cake for the pastors. And uh, it was just really nice. So I enjoyed the fact that somebody else gave the gift of laughter to such a large group of people and would encourage you to think about occasionally giving the gift of laughter in whatever way you can to uh, unite people and bring them together. Hey, better than doing it virtual, right? So that's the first three, uh, first four gigs, 14, 15, 16, 17, League City, Ferguson, Marquand, and E-Town, Kentucky. And then on the 18th, get back home for a day of rest, do a little bit of work, and then right back out on the road. The 19th, head to Little Rock, Arkansas, to the Governor's Mansion, which uh, is interesting because I work for the former governor, of Arkansas, Mike Huckabee, on his TV show here in Nashville on TBN. So uh, as I was walking around, I was taking some pictures and shooting them back to him and texting him and saying, hey, man, look where I'm at. And it turns out his wife 
was responsible for building the event center that we were in that is attached to the governor's mansion. Uh, really eloquent looking place, very uh, fancy. You know, they had stuff I was afraid to break and stuff like that all over the place. And that was a fundraiser for nonprofit organization that digs wells uh, in Africa to help uh, communities get water. But also as they come to the well to get water, they also get the message. And it has brought a lot of people to Christ. There I was just doing a 30-minute stand-up uh, piece in the evening. They had a gospel singer. They had a live auction. And I went on after the live auction. And a couple of things I learned on that event. Um, this is one where they were obviously trying to be a good steward of their monies and not waste any money. So they picked me up at the airport, drove me to the hotel, drove me to the gig, drove me back to the hotel, and were going to drive me to the uh, airport in the morning, but it was such an early flight. I gave them a break on that, which ended up not being a break for me. I'll tell you in a second. But so several things, and mostly it's just about uh, you want to be accommodating for sure, but sometimes you can over accommodate and it ends up costing you uh, a little bit of your sanity. So the event planner wanted me to get to the event when he went there to set up and before uh, everybody got there. And normally I would say, you know, I'll be there an hour before I need to go on stage. That's plenty. But because they were really bent on trying to save money, I agreed to it. And so I'm over there four hours before my show. And I'm already a little bit tired from those previous four gigs I just told you about and could have really used a little time to rest up, especially since the flight was super early that morning to get to Little Rock. And I just sat there and, you know, I did some work and, did, you know, it was a good steward of my time while I was there. But really, I felt I could have been sleeping and resting up and being healthy so I could come in and uh, do my show. But there I was, had an extra big Dr. Pepper and managed to get through the downtime, had a fine set, everything went well there, but could have been better. And here's here's another thing. I'm not going to tell anybody how to run their event, but the three times I've gone on stage when there's a live auction and I've gone up right after the live auction, it's just not as good as if people have fresh ears. And I don't know how many fundraising events you do or how many times this might come into play for you, but I do believe I'm going to request to never go on after the live auction again, and even if that means not doing the gig. And again, I know I'm there for them, and it's not all about me whatsoever in a fundraising situation, but people, after hearing an auctioneer yell at them for an hour, uh, it's really hard to go up and do comedy. They've been orally, audibly assaulted with just yelling for an hour. And even to me, it's unnerving uh, trying to find a quiet place to get centered for my show when there's just so much ruckus going on. And so I would either recommend in the future to my clients to, to put something between me and the live auction, have me before the live auction, or I might just give the gig to somebody else. Um, it's just too much. And especially too much after four hours of sitting there waiting to go on. So I need to sometimes stick up for my sanity a little bit and say, hey, uh, I know it'd be convenient for me to be there when you drive over four hours before I need to be there, but I'm just going to call an Uber on and, and take care of it for my own self and, and rest up a little bit. And that's what I should have done. I get back to the hotel and I have an early morning flight leaving Little Rock, uh, 6.30 flight, set up my Uber app the night before to get a ride. And you can't, you, you reserve it, but there's no email notification and there's nowhere I could find on my app to see that it actually was confirmed that I reserved the Uber. And so I didn't know if they were going to show up or not. 
And so I called a taxi company in Little Rock, which is like Earl's Taxi, even though it has a New York City phone number. And they uh, they basically say, you can't reserve a ride for tomorrow morning. You have to call an hour before you need to be picked up so we can get somebody there on time. So now I have to get up at 530 uh, or a little bit before 530 to make sure I can get the ride and get to the airport and don't sleep well that night because the whole time I'm just thinking, what if I miss my alarm and miss my flight? And then when I do get up, uh, turn my phone on and there's like two messages from the Uber driver saying they're outside waiting, even though it was the wrong time. And then I get a call from my taxi guy. I'm outside waiting. So I guess apparently there's couple of cars out front of the hotel and I'm still not even ready to go. So uh, I cancel the Uber, take the taxi, and this guy drives like a maniac to the airport. Get to the airport unrested and uh, have a gig that night. So leaving Little Rock, my main takeaway was you need some rest. Uh, I just, you know, the gig was fine. I just needed to build some time in there to rest once I got to town. Come home on the 20th to do a warm-up set at the Huckabee Show, which I mentioned, Governor, just a second ago. That's a gig I've been doing for three years now. do it twice a month usually. gives me a chance to work out new material, go up in front of the audience. Kind of got a second family there at Huckabee. A lot of good people work over there. Had a fun time that night and uh, was talking about the movie coming up, and I was excited because it was going to be premiering in my town a few days later, and a few of the Huckabee folks said they were coming out, so was uh, excited about that. Worked on a couple of new jokes, and that's my main takeaway from this particular gig on the 20th is always be working on material. I had made a few comments uh, just hanging out while I was at the governor's mansion in Little Rock to just some different people. Not anything that I intended to be a joke, but they laughed at it, and so I thought, oh, I'm going to see if I can work on that at uh, Huckabee Show Wednesday. So I threw that in there. So quick lesson there. Pay attention to when people respond to things you say that may not even register as material to you and see if you can bring that to the stage because it got a laugh in casual conversation. Maybe you could structure it to where it gets a good laugh on stage. Then Thursday the 21st, right back at the airport now down to Mobile, Alabama, where I'm doing the Mayberry Method for a city, the city of Sims in Alabama. And got to that gig, had a good time. It was at a church, even though it was a uh, city event, so no separation of state and church in Alabama there, which is fine. And did that event and, you know, got there in plenty of time, flew into Pensacola and drove over, which is kind of the only way to get there affordably. And uh, had to get in town early. The flight, uh, I think, left at 7.45 in the morning, arrived at 9.05 in Pensacola, for an evening event. So try to check into the hotel early and it was a uh, Hilton and they couldn't get me in early, but they had a sister property, the Hampton Inn right around the corner. And they said, Hey, if you want to go over there and have breakfast and work out, hang out by the pool, we'll call you when the room's ready. And so that was a great tip from them to uh, always ask, do you have a sister property that has breakfast? Cause they don't care. The breakfast is already out there. They said, shoot for it, man. Go over there. You could walk across the parking lot to it, basically. So did that, had a little breakfast, uh, took a little nap, and then drove over to the gig. Again, it was at a church. It went well. And as I'm getting ready for the set, I'm in the lobby. They have a buffet dinner, and people grabbing their food. And I start talking to this one guy who's just as big as a bear. He was like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, big burly dude. And we were talking, and after a few minutes, I started thinking, this guy had to have played football at some point. So I asked him. 
and I wish I could remember his name. He'd played at uh, New England Patriots with Tom Brady. Um, he was an offensive lineman, and he said, that's, that's why you won't remember my name after we get done talking, and I surely enough didn't. But uh, I asked him a few things about the NFL. I'm like, you know, you look like you're healthy. Do you, you know, how's your brain? I know you get a lot of these concussions from playing, maybe a few less with the offensive line, but still there's potential there. And he gave me a great uh, insight into what the NFL does for their players now. Um, you know, they bring them in. They get all this testing that's uh, completely paid for to monitor their brain health. Um, there's been a lot of very violent people after the NFL have done some crazy things, and they obviously want to prevent that. And then he even mentioned that, you know, the human brain doesn't even form completely until it's 27. He'd already retired by 27. And so I just kind of off the cuff replied, oh, the human brain doesn't form until you're 27. So you're not making your best decisions in life probably till after 27. He's like, yeah, that's right. And I said, that's why I asked my wife to marry me before she turned 27. And that got a good laugh out of him. And then I went and did that joke on stage 20 minutes later and got a good laugh. And boom, that lesson I just learned about taking casual conversations and dropping some of that into your stage show applies again. Uh, sometimes you don't even have to come up with the idea. You come up with the response to somebody else's setup, and it works. So anyway, did that show, and right before they bring me up, they're giving the COVID numbers update, and the guy who's in charge of all that information was just coughing a horrible, horrible cough on stage. And it was just like, I mean, I thought he was going to cough up a lung. And he's just like, and you know, <clears throat> we're all safe now. <clears throat> and you know, we shouldn't, uh, <clears throat> you know, and he's just going, going nuts. And we still need to be a little bit cautious about <clears throat> sharing things. And I'm like, yeah, I like the microphone, my man. And so I asked for the sound guy to give me my own microphone. And I walked up on stage and kind of made a funny joke about, yeah, I, I think I won't share that microphone. And everybody laughed and he laughed and then he coughed again. And uh, that's just, uh, that's just the way it was. So just staying in the moment, looking for little opportunities to add comedy was the main takeaway from that one. And uh, then I flew back home, had Friday evening off. And then Saturday was the big Mayberry Man premiere at the Lebanon Theater in Nashville. Uh, not Nashville proper, but out in my neck of the woods, Mount Juliet at the Lebanon uh, Capitol Theater. And Alan Newsom, who plays Floyd, came up for that. We had a great time. And man, was I uh, blessed and impressed with how many of my friends turned out to support me in the movie. Uh, Chester, who you heard on the podcast, the last episode came out, brought some folks, his wife, and then a lot of the Huckabee team came out, as well as audience members from the Huckabee crew. And uh, we just had a great evening there at the Capitol Theater. My wife and my son got to come out. My daughter uh, would have come out. It's funny. Her, two of her best friends came to the movie with their parents, but my daughter didn't want to come because she didn't want to go to any movie where a guy is holding a gun. And I'm the, <laughs> the guy holding the gun in the movie. And I explained to her, you know, I don't shoot nobody. There's no bullets in there. And she's still like, she's like, that's violence. I don't want to be part of that. So kudos to my nine-year-old daughter for not wanting to go to see a movie with a gun in it. But um, did that movie, had a lot of fun. And the main takeaway from that experience, I, I want to say, is always um, keep a good list of your contacts uh, handy. Because when I knew that was coming up, I had met earlier uh, in the year Ken Beck, who's a great writer here in Nashville and a huge Andy Griffith Show fan. He's written a couple of books, including the Ampy Cookbook. And he met me at an event and said, hey, if you ever need an article written, I'm a freelancer. I can probably get into the local paper. So just let me know when you're doing something. And I took him up on that about two weeks earlier. We did the interview. He came out to the theater, took some pictures of me there. 
and that article front page in the old uh, newspaper here in Nashville area and got a lot more people out to the show, which was better for the theater, which is better for the movie, which is better for Alan and I. And so, you know, keeping a good organized list of your contacts for when they might come in handy uh, was very important at that point. And obviously I thank Ken uh, for doing that, but promotion, you can only do so much on your own. Facebook only allows you to do so much. It's very limiting now unless you want to shell out some dollars and that was a big helpful thing. So uh, using uh, resources or utilizing resources to get the most out of the event is the lesson taken away on the 23rd. Then I had two days off. Well, one day off, the 24th, before I flew again on the 25th, up for a series of events that were all before 2 o'clock in the afternoon, which presents some opportunities and some challenges. So this requires flying in the night before. So I left on the 25th. Got up to Columbus, grabbed me some Bob Evans by the airport, and then headed on up to Zanesville, where I had a noon and two o'clock event. This was another event rescheduled from COVID, where it was to be a safety awards banquet with spouses out at a nice restaurant, uh, which would have been great. Uh, because of the virus still going around, they were afraid to have all those people in one place. So they divided the group into two and decided to have it at their offices instead of a restaurant with spouses. So it was just the employees. And it was at the uh, the co-op, electrical co-ops headquarters. And the first of the two shows at noon was a, a good mixed audience as far as male, female, ages, and all that kind of stuff. But it just felt a little stale. Uh, it felt to me like they felt they were still at work, that they were required to be there. And they all had their individual desks. There was no real sense of community. Um, and I'm sitting there under fluorescent lights and and doing my set, and it went okay, but I knew I could have done better. And so I knew that the event planner probably thought the same thing too, and we had a break in between as the next group came in for the 2 o'clock event. And so I just talked to him and said, hey, I, I think for me it'd be better if we maybe played a little bit of music or something to kind of set the mood that it's not exactly work time and to kind of uh, – I might be a little bit looser in the second set, not edgier or dirtier, but just kind of – little goofier to kind of loosen things up and then as i see the group coming in it's it's all guys and it's mostly guys in their 20s and uh they're linemen guys go out there and work in the field hard-working dudes and so to me it was like these are the guys i used to work with on the farm so i kind of need to be farm guy rick the second show which is a conscious decision on my part to be more of a character more of it's almost it's weird like so i'm 53 I don't know if I've matured over the years, but I've I've become uh, a little bit of accent neutral, if that's a good term. And you might be able to hear this and think, oh, this guy's country. But I've tried to be more neutral for a lot of reasons in the speaking business. And sometimes it takes the flavor away from my stand-up. And to me, I think my best stand-up is when I'm loose. I'm a little bit more of the guy I was when I was 18 to 25 than the guy I am when I'm 50 to 53, if that makes any sense. So I just made a more conscious decision to not worry about super proper enunciation, to be a little more laid back and a little bit more goofy. And the second show, which uh, audience-wise would have normally been a little bit more challenging because there was no ladies in there and ladies laughed more, uh, was the better of the two shows by far. Just had a lot more fun, did a little bit more audience interaction. And not that I you know, slam or roast anybody in the audience, but I have fun with them. And I didn't do that in the first show. I kind of kept it straight. 
So in the second show, I decided to be a little bit looser, have some more fun, and it definitely paid off. So the lesson learned there is trust your instinct. Uh, the The goal there is to be funny, not to be a speaker. And I kind of felt like I started that first gig off as a speaker as opposed to a comedian. So not always ideal to be in a fluorescently lit break room uh, at an office doing stand-up, but came off fine. I'm happy I did the gig, and we got that one done. It was rescheduled. So the next... After that, I got to fly into uh, Dallas so that I can get up to Addison. So boogie on back to the Columbus airport and fly. The flight's delayed. Get into Texas. And when I arrive in Texas, all the rental car company counters are closed. So I can't get to my rental car. Have to take an Uber, which isn't too bad in this situation. Um, I had to get three Ubers, you know, from the airport to the hotel, wake up, hotel to the gig, and then gig back to the airport Cost-wise, it cost me a few extra bucks, but it was kind of nice not having to gas up the rental car and navigate my way around traffic, but I prefer definitely to have the rental car. Uh, get to this gig. This is at Top Golf. I had never been to Top Golf uh, to golf or do anything, and this was for Make-A-Wish North Texas uh, area, and man, you know, I got so fulfilled with this gig. The people there... Or just, you can imagine, who, who volunteers their time to work at Make-A-Wish? Good people. So I get there, and the event planner is uh, positive, and everything is looking good. They just had their lunch, have a little bit of break before I start, and they tell me a little bit about what they're doing and what the event's about. And so this program that I did for them was Listen Up, Laugh It Up, which is the program where people, uh, I start with stand-up, and then they take a break and do some improvisational listening exercises to fine-tune their ability to listen to each other and their clients, the people who are requesting wishes, and all those people involved, and then I wrap back up with some stand-up. And the event could not have gone better. It was a ton of fun. Only regret is I didn't have time to stay and play some top golf. I've still just seen it. Uh, it looks like a fun way to play. And if whoever came up with Top Golf, just a genius. All you got to do is rip off the back of a Holiday Inn, just bulldoze the back end of it, and then hit some golf balls into a big garbage net. I mean, what's the cost there? But had a good time. Then had to boogie back to the airport again and hop on a flight to Philadelphia, and which I was going to take the flight from there and land and then drive over to Atlantic City, where I had my next gig on the 28th. So I get to Philadelphia, and again, the flight was delayed twice. This is the problem with flying at night uh, for gigs in the morning, and the rental car counter is closed. Even though clearly on the reservation, it said I could pick up the car at 1130, I land at 11, and it's closed, and there's no options. None of the, none of the car companies have any cars on them, so I have to get an Uber from Philly to Atlantic City. Oh, that is not hitting the jackpot right there. That is uh, going bankrupt. $171. Uh, now, to be fair, the rental car was going to cost me 160 just because of supply and demand in that area, which is still a lot for a rental car. But here, one way, over 170 bucks. And I'm talking to the Uber driver, who I got a lot of respect for anybody that's working and doing anything. And this Uber guy was a young fella, one more year left in college. So I asked him, uh, you know, what are you, what are you going to do when you get out of college? And this is funny, but also a little uh, disconcerting. His answer was, oh, man, I kind of see myself as being a boss. And I'm like, yeah, uh, what, ki what kind of career? I don't know, man. I just want to be the guy telling people what to do. I don't want to be taking orders from nobody. 
I just see myself as kind of being the boss and then taking all the money I make from that and buying rental, rental properties and real estate and then having other people work on that for me. So I'm just making the money and investing in crypto. And <laughs> I'm just, uh, the guy's 23, I'm 53. There's 30 years of uh, lessons learned in between there, and I just don't have one to give them besides uh, you might want to have a plan almost out of college and all you want to do is be the boss. You know, when I went to college, I don't think there was a course program called how to be the boss where you don't do any work. And here this guy was, and I'm like, you know, 10 years from now, you might be driving this car still or flying a drone uh, that picks people up, whatever it's going to be in 10 years, because it's not sound like a plan to me, dude. So roll into Atlantic City close to one in the morning. I've got a 10 a.m. gig, which is also a listen up, laugh it up gig, which means I've got to be on my toes and uh, check into the casino, ask for a Superman room, which is up, up and away from everybody. Uh, somehow fall asleep that night, get a little bit of rest, and then I want to be down to the banquet room where they're doing the uh, the event, the program. I always try to get down there an hour early at the previous break so I can kind of set up uh, where I'm going to be at and, and just check in with the event planner. And so, you know, the day before, he's like, yeah, we're going to take a break from ten to from 9 to 10, and then uh, 10 to 11, you're on. And so I get down there an hour early at 9, and he's like, you ready to go on? I'm like, yeah, in an hour, right? He's like, no, you're going on right now. We decided to change the brakes around. And so I got to be on my toes a little bit earlier than I thought. Again, you got to be flexible with this stuff. Uh, this one starts off with stand-up again. Then it goes into the listening exercise, then back to stand-up. And because I had just done this gig, this program the day before for Make-A-Wish, it was fresh in my head. And the event went really well. As for BASF, they don't make things. They make things better. And had a lot of fun with the group. And then I actually had a little bit of time to chill out before my flight. So I took advantage of the boardwalk there in Atlantic City. And I think I walked four or five miles, got some fresh air. Not a lot reopened. And maybe this because it was during the week as well. But it looked like a lot of the businesses on the boardwalk still boarded up and closed since the pandemic. It, it didn't look like they were recently closed because of the off season. It just looked like they were done. And so hopefully economic recovery comes to that area one way or the other. Uh, but I had a fun time doing that gig, and I guess the main lesson learned on that one was get to where you need to be before you need to be there, because they might be ready for you anyway. And so again, being overprepared and early, better than being underprepared and late. Flew back home that Thursday night, the 28th. Uh, 29th, I had to myself at home to catch up a little bit, and then Saturday morning, off to Boston, Massachusetts. And this was a church building fund fundraising event off-site, not at the church, but at a uh, kind of like a wedding and banquet venue. And so another one where they were being good stewards of their money, so they wanted to pick me up at the airport, which they did, and then took me to the hotel, then grabbed me from the hotel, took me to the gig. When I get to the gig, it's just a 30-minute set, and as I'm coming in the event venue, I'm like, oh man, that wedding party down there is crushing it. Like I could hear music in the parking lot. Just a blast and sound like a live band, and it was just uh, really, really loud. And then as I get into the venue, they're like, oh, that's us. I'm like, oh, good for you. <laughs> so uh, I'm a little rattled, frazzled from the crazy travel week. And then I'm like, well, this this looks good. So I go in the room, and uh, it's, it's just they're just having a blast. It's a Dominican Republic-based uh, congregation. They've all relocated to the U.S. from Dominican Republic and had a nice group there. They're all decked out. Uh, 
the the praise gospel slash funk band was just crushing it. And I'm starting to look around like, uh, why did they bring this Southern kid into this? I don't know if they're going to get my humor and talk to the pastor. And he's like, oh, we looked online for clean Christian comics and we watched all your videos. You're going to be perfect. And I'm like, okay, you know your congregation better than I do. And so they uh, transitioned from the music to me. And it's at first I'm like, I don't know if I'm apprehensive. I shouldn't be. We're all just people. But I realized, you know, that what bonds all of us is family and God. So that's what I did my set based around, did all my family jokes, my kids jokes, my marriage jokes, uh, some a little bit of topical stuff, a couple of my COVID jokes since they were all wearing masks. And then I thought, you know what? Uh, this is great. I should never be worried. God put me in this situation to have a good time. And maybe the music was too loud and not my kind of music when I walked in. But people are people, and if you love on them, they love back. And that's what, exactly what happened. And it was just a, a fun show and had a, a good good conversations with all the people from the church that drove me to and from each place. They, uh, you know, they'd all had incredible stories about what it was like to live in the Dominican Republic and how they met their spouses and that they're you know, trying to be good parents to their kids. And again, it was just one of those, just like the Make-A-Wish event, where I came back more energized than when I got there because of the stories that people told me and what they were doing and what their uh, whole you know point of origin and emphasis was in those situations. So that was cool. That was the 30th. So that's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 of the 17 events. Let's take a quick break, and I'll tell you about the remaining five. You know, the holidays are right around the corner. And if you're like me, you often wonder, do I really need anything? I mean, I've got the pants that don't wrinkle, so I don't have to iron them. I've got the shirt you don't have to tuck in. And look at me, I've got the tie that clips right on. Well, if you're not sure what to ask for this year, go ahead and say, make me funnier, folks, and get a gift from the School of Laughs. That's right. We've got classes you can take. They're online classes. They're ready to go. You just order them and flip the switch, buddy, and you're in there running. You can go to Next Classes tab at SchoolOfLaughs.com and scroll through and look at the online comedy writing class or the master laughter class. The comedy writing class teaches you everything I teach my students here in Nashville, and it's all in one place online. And the master laughter class is built for speakers, teachers, trainers, and preachers to add humor and different laughs and moments to your program so people stay engaged and stay in tune. Within the Master Laughter class is also the full online comedy writing class. So if you want the best bang for your buck, that might be the one to check out for you. So again, go to schooloflaughs.com, next classes tab, and scroll down to check out the online comedy writing class or the Master Laughter class. Different prices for different tiers based on the feedback and interaction you have from me. And if that's not in your wheelhouse and you might have specific questions, I do offer online coaching calls. You can find that under the same tab, Next Classes. All right, go ahead and try to put some wrinkles in those pants. Try to tuck in your untuckable shirt and unclip that clip-on tie. Let's get back into the episode. All right, so we wrapped up the gig in Boston, had three flight delays, land at home Sunday just in time to take my kids trick-or-treating, and I had fun doing that. Monday rolls around, got a little time to chill out, and then Tuesday I head on to San Antonio, Texas on November 2nd for a gig just across the street from the Alamo. How cool is that? I always like going to San Antonio. Uh, It's definitely built in an interesting way. It's got a lot of cool sites, a lot of old missions. They've got the Riverwalk, a lot of good restaurants, all the stuff that you love when you travel, and they do a lot of convention business, so I'm always trying to get some gigs down that way. 
and I get hired about a week prior to this. So this one came in at the last minute. Group was looking for a way to kind of close out their conference on a high note and have some interaction. And they found me online. And the group itself is so cool. It's called Dotless Air. This company is the one you see uh, when you see these big forest fires. They fly in. Their pilots grab some water and dump it on the flames. Or they have the flame retardant powders they drop in. Uh, so they're all kind of uh, high wire act on the edge kind of people. Even the administrative people kind of had that little edge to them. Like, yeah, this is dangerous and it's cool. And the event was outdoors on a rooftop that was directly across the street from the Alamo. So as the gig progressed, the sun went down, the Alamo was fully lit on the other side. It was just a really cool setup. Uh, typically, outdoor gigs can be a challenge, but, you know, I had – Really honed in on when they hired me to have a great sound and lighting company to pull this off. And that's, you know, their expense, not my expense. But I said, you know, I'm honored that you want me to be there, but to be outside on a rooftop at night, uh, here's what we need. And they provided it. They had great sound, two sound techs on site. Uh, the group was probably only 75, 80 people. And the, uh, the event space, it was a rooftop and it was kind of like an L. And so I, I was there at the elbow of the L where both groups could see me, but they couldn't necessarily see each other. Not super ideal, but uh, it worked. It worked good mainly because the sound and the lighting was excellent. So quick takeaway on this gig is always uh, really request what you need for the gig to go successfully. And I'd failed to do that earlier in this run of gigs with uh, you know the timing of the live auction and, and things. This one, I kind of definitely wanted it to be a good, good, good show outside. So we did that event. Another lesson I learned on this is to uh, have a little, you know, the event planner, this was a, how can I explain this? I got called from a third party who was contacted by a second party by the first party, the company, looking for entertainment. So the, event, the, the company found me online. They talked to their caterer. They said, you know how to get a hold of this guy. The caterer said, no, but we have an event planner we work with. They called the event planner and the event planner called me. So there's like three levels of communication. And once the contract was set, I just wanted to talk directly with the company head, the CEO. Uh, I didn't want it to go through three filters and have lost communication. So that was part of the process of getting the good sound and lights. But also I got to take some time on the phone calls. And this is something I've done in the past five or six years more and more is make sure when you're talking to the person that's hiring you to not be all business. You certainly want to take care of business, but I always try to find out something personal about them or to have a funny story I want to make them laugh before I get to the gig is what I'm trying to say. And so this particular guy, uh, he called me and I texted him back. I said, hey, I'll, I'll be on the ground at 10 in the morning. I'm probably going to go for a bike ride in the city. Uh, so if I don't get your message, I'll call you right back. I'll pull over somewhere safe. And it turns out he's a an avid bike rider. He used to train people, train triathletes. And so he knew all about biking. So uh, when I called him, he's like, how's the bike ride going? And I'm like, you know, I had to get one of these e-bikes uh, which is not ideal, and we we laughed about that, and made a few jokes about it, and it really kind of broke down any like I'm hiring you, you're the employee kind of thing. It was like we were peers in a weird way, and then after the event, we sat around and talked about riding bikes for an hour, and so now we're following each other on Strava, which is a biking app or an ath athletic app, and it just always uh, sometimes I forget to do that. I'd forget to make a personal connection with the person hiring me instead of just a business connection. So if I could recommend anything to anybody on this particular gig is take the time 
to get to know the people that are hiring you as much time as you have. Uh, sometimes, obviously, things are busy, but make time for that, and it pays dividends down the road. He's already going to have me at a different event uh, up in his neck of the woods, up at Martha's Vineyard, which I've never been, and I think that's just going to be a, a fun gig. But because we made that personal connection, he wanted me to be able to come up there, ride a bike, and uh, kind of see his neck of the woods. So leave San Antonio, get back home for a few days. Third and fourth, I'm off. Fifth, I've got another warm-up spot over at Huckabee on TBN. Uh, audience warm-up gig. And this one's particularly fun because that night on the show is John Branion, comedian, who's also past president of the Christian Comedy Association. You've heard John on the podcast before. Uh, we've we've actually had a podcast where we came up with ideas for jokes and then tried them out and then came back and talked about how they went. I'll link to those show episodes in the show notes. And along with John, uh, they both live in the Indianapolis area, came David Pendleton, who's going to be on the Huckabee Show in uh, January, I think, and he came down to kind of check out the situation. So I got to hang out with two past presidents of the CCA, uh, watched John do his set, went extremely well. And also on the show that night, we had uh, a fellow who's the head of the uh, Babylon Bee. You know, the Babylon Bee is kind of like the onion for Christians. And he was great, got to meet him. And I believe he'll be on the podcast coming up. So if you want to hear about how the Babylon Bee works and how they write their stories and how they put stuff out. Hopefully that'll be here in the next few weeks or before the end of the year, if his time allows. Had a good time at that gig, tried out several new bits at that show. Uh, did the joke again about the brain not being fully formed at 27. Had a new bit about my daughter um, that I, I may have mentioned on a previous podcast. But um, all those jokes went good. Tried out the new material that's the key to that gig for me. The lesson I learn every time is keep trying out new stuff because you have a lot of repeat attendees at these uh, TV show tapings. It's a nice night out for these folks, and they come to multiple episodes. So I've always got to have some new material for them. So that was Friday night, the 5th. On the 6th, I'll wake up, fly to Ohio, where I've got a gig in Botkins, Ohio, which if you don't know where that is, not many people do. It's kind of in between Dayton and Finley, up on that neck of the woods, and uh, did a gig for the volunteer fire department. It's a fundraising event. I think it's the 16th or 17th year they've done this. Uh, this gig was handed to me by Dan Swartout. Swarty, I've known for many years. I think I was at his first stand-up uh, open mic set ever, and we've stayed in touch. Uh, something you probably are seeing now, too, that some of these connections overlap over the years. Uh, people come in and out of your circle for a while. But Dan got me the gig. It was a lot of fun. 175 or so people in a banquet hall. They were ready to go. They had dinner, banquet, drinks. And then there was also two comics with me on that night. And this is the first thing in all of these gigs where I've had other comics on the bill. And so I was thankful for that. Uh, both of them did a great job. Andrew Ruddick opened the show with a solid 15. He's from the Cincinnati area. If you have a chance to see him, I highly recommend it. Uh, he was kind enough to ask me, you know, is this a clean show or are you dirty? And I said, uh, you guys do whatever you want, but I'm going to be clean. And he said, well, that's what I'm going to do. That's all I need to know. And he did a great clean set, had some of the funniest lines I've heard in a while. And then Chris Cohen came on and did the feature spot. He's from the Columbus, Ohio area and did a solid job, a lot of big laughs. And then I got to go up. So I had 40, 45 minutes of the audience being warmed up before I hit the stage, which I had not had in years. I don't do a lot of gigs with other comics, and it was so fun just to laugh at the stuff they were saying and then to go up and do my set. And that set could not have gone better. Um, man, it was just – I wish I had a recording of it, uh, like a full-blown three-camera shoot. It was just too much fun, a lot of good audience interaction. 
And I took the lesson I had learned from the Zanesville gig about adding my flavor back to the show and used that at the Botkins gig. I was completely loose, completely the guy I was when I started comedy. And so all that fun flavor was there and had just a great reaction. Squeaky clean set for me. And the audience may have expected something different or um, may have had that in the past, but I gave them the clean show. Could not have gone better. Wish I had a video recording of that full show. It was just uh, lights out, top to bottom, an hour and 10 minutes set. Felt good the whole way through and then flew home Sunday. Quick turnaround on Monday morning, the 8th, fly down to Orlando and then drive to Fort Myers, Florida to uh, to a gig. So I had originally planned a flight to Fort Myers, which would have been fine, but I had another last-minute gig pop up for the next day, the ninth in Arizona, and really the only way I could get there is to fly in and out of Orlando. So switched my flights, flew to Orlando, drove down to Fort Myers, got a hotel in between in Winter Haven. So I drove like an hour, went to the hotel, ironed my clothes, took a quick shower, then drove, I guess it was another two hours down to Fort Myers. Did that event. That event was also a reschedule from COVID. Uh, rescheduled it twice. It was for the Lexington Boat Club. A group of people get together. They go boating. They're kind of part of a 55 and up community. Had a good show, good set. And I think the lesson I took away from this particular night of comedy is to, again, look at your audience and know what they need from you. Because they were older, I slowed down. Uh, I had the same amount of fun and goofiness I normally do, but I slowed down my material because when you're performing in front of a group that's a little bit older, they sometimes they don't laugh because they're afraid they're not going to hear the next thing you're saying. And if you're speaking too fast, some of it goes by and they just can't even grasp all of it. Now, they were a very hip group, very smart, very still with it. So the jokes landed where they should, but I had to slow down my delivery because a lot of these folks were not from the South, even though they're living in Fort Myers, they relocated there to retire. So we have a lot of Northeastern folks, uh, some Yankees from up in New York City area and on all up and down the coast as part of this audience. And that one went really well, had a lot of fun, did the pre-show as Barney Fife walking around, mingling with the group, and then came back out and did my stand-up set. So again, the main takeaway from that show is slow down, know your audience, and also kind of the travel tip of you know, I didn't think I could drive all the way down and all the way back to Orlando. So I got the hotel an hour from Orlando. And honestly, I probably should have gone ahead and kept it in Orlando and just done the three hours down, three hours back. Because the next morning, traffic getting out of Fort Myers and up to Orlando was very nail-biting. Even though I left in plenty of time, I left in time to get to the airport 90 minutes before boarding, two hours before flight. Because the traffic was so thick and there was so much construction, I was able to get to the airport, through security, and to my gate with about three minutes to spare. And that would have been a killer because I had to go all the way to Arizona, and the next flight would not have got me there on time. So lucky I made it, uh, used my Waze app and some creative uh, speed judgments to get to the airport on time. But got there, flew on the 9th to Scottsdale, well, flew to Phoenix, had a gig in Scottsdale, Arizona. was really hoping to catch a little sleep on the flight. That didn't happen. Was hoping to catch some nap time at the hotel. That didn't happen. And so I don't know how many hours had been up with the time change and all when I went to do my show in uh, Scottsdale. But that show was for a construction company. They were having their big meeting. It was the first time they'd been face to face with each other. It was kind of a merger of different construction companies. And so they hadn't been in, in 
close proximity uh, in person since COVID. So that was a big deal for them to to do that. And of course, there's this huge Biden infrastructure trillion dollar spending program on the table. And they were very excited about taking some of those dollars and getting their bridges and their roads built. And uh, I was to be the comedian the next to last night of the conference to kind of give him some laughs. And this was a gig where it was mostly guys. There may have been three ladies in the audience, maybe four. And they were having drinks. Uh, they were fairly, I wouldn't say rowdy, but they were, they were fully juiced. And I was totally exhausted and thought, oh, this could go, this could go the wrong direction pretty quick. But I decided to have fun. Again, added my flavor uh, and kept it loose and did a little bit of audience interaction. And on this gig, there was, it was weird. Nothing, I didn't plan either of these things. But when I was interacting with the audiences, there was two, things that popped up that could have been cancel culture um, TNT if somebody wanted it to be, um, but it wasn't. And it felt refreshing that it wasn't. So I was speaking to an audience member. She's a lady. She'd been married for 44 years. And I said, what's the secret to 44 years of marriage? And she said, well, I married my best friend and it really worked out. And I just took a beat and looked back at her and said, well, my best friend's name is Scott. If I'd married him, I think my family would have had a big problem with it. And, you know, that got a big laugh where it could have got a big groan. Uh, there was nothing uh, that I was intending to be mean or gender, uh, I don't know, gender aggressive about that comment. It was just funny to me that she said she married my best friend. The first thing I thought is, well, my best friend's a dude. And uh, the whole audience laughed. Nobody had a problem with it. Nobody complained after the show about it. And I just thought, man, isn't it nice not to have to walk on eggshells all the time? that you can actually be in the moment, make a joke, and keep on going. And then later in the show, I close out the show by getting a guy on stage to sing with me. It's all a song about being manly man. I'm just a guy. And it's a fun way to close out the show. And so I asked for a volunteer. And the two CEOs of these merging companies were singled out by the people in the audience, like, oh, you get this guy and get this guy. And so I bring them up and say, this song's all about being proud to be a manly man. Are y'all proud to be manly men? And one goes, uh, well, he is. And everybody started laughing, and it, it kind of dawned on me that maybe one guy had an alternative lifestyle, and the other guy was uh, traditional. <laughs> and so this song about being a manly man has nothing gender aggressive about it or anything like that, but it was dawned on me that one guy was a manly man, and the other was a manly man. And again, nobody there had a problem with it. The CEOs that were involved didn't have a problem with it, these two guys. And so big laughs in the moment harmless, fun, thank goodness, and refreshing. So a lesson from that event would be go with your gut, be aware. I mean, I became aware after these two statements that maybe they would have offended somebody. But again, if they did, you're really looking for a reason to be offended. But trust your gut, uh, travel safe, and get to the gig and uh, have some energy and bring, bring the funny. So there you go. That's the episode. 17 shows in 27 days. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Hope you learned a couple of things in there. Hope you kind of went on the journey with me through these uh, busy times. Equally as busy times coming up. But I'm going to take the lessons I learned from these last gigs and make sure that I'm covered on these upcoming gigs. Hopefully the same for you. Don't forget, you can always support the podcast through Patreon, schoolofdaughtscom forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Support at $7 a month or more, and you're part of Club 52. And if you are part of Club 52, uh, we had our Zoom hangout last weekend. The recording is up in the Patreon feed if you'd like to check that out. 
if you missed it live. Thanks to those who were on board on the call. We had a lot of fun. And we talked about cancel culture a little bit and little ways you can give yourself uh, permission to explore areas on stage uh, by giving the audience a little heads up and a little trick tool you can use to have them agree uh, with you that you can have a different opinion and present the comedy. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet and you're part of Club 52, I highly recommend uh, checking that out. That's going to do it. Thanks again for listening. If you are interested in getting a comedy class given to you for a gift for Christmas, just shoot me an email at schooloflaughs at gmail.com and I'll uh, give you more information on how you can uh, forward something on to people so they can get that stuff for you. All right, take care. Stay safe. Stay funny. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.